Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Up Your Confidence podcast. This will be a podcast conversation for and by women to equip, empower, and elevate us to up your confidence every day to live our God-given potential. And now, here is your host. All right, welcome to Up Your Confidence podcast. You know it's about equipping and empowering women leaders to live their potential and up their confidence every day. In today's episode, I'm super excited to have my friend, coach, and a leader, seven leader, Pamela Duke. I'm going to go ahead and read Pamela bio before we get started. So Pamela is uh, a Hall of Famer, an Olympic athlete who is focused on helping team through servant leadership and self-reliance strategy. She's passionate about learning and helping others as a coach, trainer, and mentor. She has been featured speaker at several Agile and Lean conference. That's where I met her and love sharing her experience with others. With over 20 years in technology industry, she used Agile practice and her experience with high performing team to improve team productivity and deliver high value product. Her superpowers are her optimism, empathy and finding ways to view and conquer challenge while motivating others around her. She's a proud graduate of Stanford University in Palo Alto, California. At Stanford, she majored in sociology with a focus on organizational behavior and has earned both bachelor and master of art. She has also earned several certification in agile methodology and is a certified Hadara method trainer. Her volunteer work includes a board position in high tech, high heel. She's also a mentor, those, she also mentor those who request her assistance and conduct goal setting classes using Hadara method, method periodically. She donates yearly to talk couple of scholarships at her high school, Freehold Township High School, her proudest and favorite role is a mom to her son, Alexander. Welcome, Pam, to the Up Your Confidence podcast. How are you doing? Thank you, Asai. I'm great. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me. Excellent. I want us to get started. I always like to share how I meet people and because uh, I always want my audience to understand how I find guests to bring on the show and what is the relationship that we have. So okay. I met you, I believe, at uh, one of your Agile Lena uh, meetup. I think it was the DFW uh, Agile Leaders uh, Network. That's where we met and you were the guest speaker that day. And I mm -hmm. really love your story. So so, and then I think last, last summer I joined your, your Hadara uh, training class. So that was super fun. So that's how we met, but yeah. I want I want you to tell a little bit of our listener, you know, cause I was really fascinated about your, obviously you Olympic athletes, you mm -hmm. know? So can you tell us, you know, your experience in that time? How did you even get to become an Olympic athlete and how are you using that skill set today? Okay, well, I started high school in, uh, I started track in high school, and then I was recruited for several schools to go to college, and I ended up going to Stanford University, where I had exceptional coaching, and they had convinced me that I could actually become an Olympic athlete, and so I continued to train there, I actually graduated, and then I tried out for the 88 team, and I was fourth, and they actually take the top three to be on the Olympic team, so that was tough, but I got over it. And then I continued to train. I worked full time because I had gotten out of school. And then I tried out for the 92 team. And I think up until the last round, I was actually on the team. I was third. And then someone passed me on their last throw. So I moved into fourth again. And so my parents were there. I remember we were in New Orleans and it was, you know, it was exciting, but devastating at the same time. So I remember being in the drug testing section and I was filling out the paperwork. And the girl who won the shot also won the discus, Connie Price Smith. And I remember I saw her come in, but I had my head down because I was thinking, you know, don't cry. It's okay. You did your best. Don't worry about it. And so she came over to me and she sat down by me. And I just thought, oh God, no, <laughs> please don't talk to me because I don't think I can take it. And 
she said, I have something to tell you. And I said, okay. And she said, well, before we got here, you know, me and my coach and team, we decided that I'm only going to throw discus in the Olympics in, in Barcelona. And so I'm not going to throw the shot put. So that means you're going to be on the team. And I remember I just kind of, you know, time started moving slowly. And I thought, what did you say? <laughs> and I, I, you know, I was in shock. And of course I hugged her and got out of drug testing and I went to find my family because I'm sure they were prepared with the, we're so sorry, you know, you're still great and all of this. And so I found them and I ran up to them and I said, I'm on the team. And they kind of like, what? And so I told them the story. So they cheered and the people all around my parents cheered and everybody was hugging me. And it was just this really exciting thing. So that is actually how I made the Olympic team in 92. And then I tried for another year. So I kept training through 96 because the Olympics were in Atlanta. And I thought, great, you know, it's going to be on our home soil. Let's try again. And I was only doing the discus at the time. And I was throwing really well going into the trials, but something happened mentally where I just forgot what to do when I actually was competing. And so it did not go well at all. And so I remember I left there and I was, you know, pretty upset, but I said, you know what? You're going to go watch it. Yep, you're going to sit right in the front row and you're going to see what it's like and you're going to cheer on your teammates. So that's what I did. And that was hard, but I was still happy for him. And I decided, okay, I'm going to compete one more year. So I competed in 97 in the discus. And I think I was either second or third in the discus. And I thought, okay, that's respectable. And so then I retired after that. So that was my experience in track. Um, but I was surrounded by, you know, the best athletes in the world, not just track and field, but when you go to a major event like the Olympics, I saw the tennis players, I've got pictures with the gymnasts and I look like their mom because they all come to like down here. And uh, it's just such an exciting feeling. And I still remember one of my favorite stories from the Olympics is I remember I called my parents, from, you know, Barcelona to New Jersey, very expensive. And I was crying and my mom answered the phone and she's like, what's the matter? And I said, mom, I reached my goal. I don't know what else to do. Oh, and so I was like a little devastated because I thought, well, where do I go from here? I'm always reaching for something. And so she laughed and she said, would you get off this phone and go have some fun? And I was like, okay. So I hung up the phone and, you know, I, I went along and enjoyed my experience. But I admit that leaving track and field was one of the hardest things I had to do because it was such a huge part of my life. And I mean, you know, you live, you breathe, you eat, everything, so you sleep, track. And when you just walk away, it was so difficult. And I found that I couldn't go watch other people compete. I couldn't watch it on TV. I had to completely shut it off. Like it wasn't even something I did. And that was hard because then a big part of me had just disappeared. So I think it took a couple of years before I could even go watch someone compete at a high school meet. And there were some athletes I met and I started kind of coaching helping people one-on-one, -on -one. but um, yeah, it was, it was best experience of my life. And I think being in any kind of competition, but in particular Olympic sports, it, it teaches you things. And of course I had to learn with, you know, being high, but then also being devastated and still picking yourself back up when things don't go that well. And I think the biggest lessons I learned is being around high performing teams. I mean, these are the best of the best. These are people I've been watching and reading about. And, you know, they're just, in, you know, right across from me. And I just remember looking at how hard they worked and, you know, we were taught how to support each other. And even though you're competing with someone, you still want them to do well. And there are a lot of lessons I learned from being on a high performance sports team that I try to carry into my professional area. And, uh, you know, I actually have a, a presentation I, I've done, you know, at my company where I go to help teams that we have. And when I first am introduced to them, you know, sometimes they look at me and, you know, well, we're a high performing team. We don't need this. So at the top of my presentation, I have pictures of, you know, the Chicago Bulls, you know, all the winning teams, the women's soccer team. And I have on it that I say, you know what, even great teams need a coach. And I promise you, whoever won the Super Bowl or the NBA championship, you can't come back the next year with the exact same thing and win because sometimes when you win, people go get a payday, they leave, maybe something happens, some of the coaching staff changes, everybody's seen your playbook. So if you just think you're gonna skip right in there and do it again, that's not how life works. And even if you're a high performing team, you could still get better. There are things you could still learn. And so I show them that picture and then the next picture I show them 
is of a pit crew. And they show, I think it's one of the Toyota cars and the car is stopped. And there's a guy talking to the driver. There's someone putting in gas and there's someone working on the tires. And my, my you know, the things I talk about is I say, you know, this is a high performing team. I said, I can promise you if the guy putting the gas in has a heart attack or falls down, someone else is swinging around there to get the gas in. So the point is that it's great that you have skills and you have specialized skills, but you have to learn how to do more than one thing. Because sometimes someone is not there. Someone's called away. You don't have your QA person for technology. You don't have your tech lead. You don't have your PO. And you can't sit there and say, oh, you know, we're not going to finish this sprint or we're not going to deliver this product because someone's out. That's not the mentality you need to carry. You need to have the mentality of, you know, what can I do to help the team? And I'm going to do my normal stuff, but are there some other skills I could learn to pitch in and help? Because that's what happens with great teams. You know, even when the coach is at, the team doesn't say, well, we're going to forfeit because coach isn't here. Guess what? They still play the game. And so you still have to be able to adjust on the fly, uh, be dynamic, learn, and still do your best, no matter who shows up to compete, whether you're doing, you know, an athletic event or you're actually in a, on a team in an organization. So I think that sort of sums up kind of, my themes and what I try to teach people. Yes, totally. And I think you, you have a deal, your perspective is so amazing because, because of you have the background of being a, an athlete, you know, a, a high level athlete and everything mm -hmm. that you, you got from that, you can bring it as an analogy to people here in organization. And I've seen you do that and it's super eye opening mm -hmm. and especially Everybody can relate to, you know, athlete. And when you were talking about, I know I follow a lot of basketball and I know, for instance, LeBron James, yeah. right after they celebrate, you know, winning that mm -hmm. summer when they have a break, he's not on break. Like he's mm -hmm. back to his regiment yeah. as if next Sunday he has another game while other yeah. folks are like partying in Miami in all the yeah. island and drinking it off, which is something I will do, you know, but, <laughs> but, but that's not what he does, you know, and it requires some kind of like mental focus, mental mm -hmm. discipline and athletes, you know, the high level athletes, they have it and you had it because you had to compete at that level and you have the right. ability, you know, as a trainer and a coach to bring that out at least explain it to folks as much as possible, you know? So that brings, mm -hmm. let's talk about the conversation at hand. The reason okay. why I wanted us to talk about the framework of saying yes, because I felt like throughout the, the throughout your career, you probably had opportunity because I feel like we never ready for anything. You know, we never mm -hmm. like have all our ducks in the row, have everything ready. But then when the opportunity knocks, you know, there's, a, there's two, two things that happen. You can be frightened and say, no, I'm not doing it. Or you can say, give it to me. And I know you are the kind of person that say, yes, let me give it, let me give it a try, you know? So talk to me about the framework that you need to be in to be able to say yes to opportunity that you might not even be ready for. Okay, um, I'm trying to think about, there was one instance in my career where I went to work for an organization and I was a scrum master slash project manager. And when I got there, you know, there was a group of folks that were in the same role and we had a boss. And I thought our boss was pretty cool, but it seemed like the rest of the team did not like this person at all. And I remember I thought, well, why are they so against this person? I didn't understand it. So I had been there, I don't know how long it was, four months, six months, eight months, but it was a short period of time. And we found out they were moving my boss to another position and they wanted me to prom promote me to her position. So I was going from, you know, a senior project manager, scrum master to the director of the whole team. And I remember when the, the CTO brought me into his office and told me, you know, of course, humor is my number one strength. I laughed like, okay, that's funny. That's real good. And, and he said, I'm serious. And I said, are you serious? And I'll never forget. He said, I'm so serious that if you say no, I have to call payroll and tell them to not give you the increase in salary. And I remember I thought, oh my goodness. And, you know, I called in upon my experience and I said, well, my parents have taught me that when an opportunity presents itself, you take it, whether you feel you're ready or whether, you know, whatever the situation, it's worth a shot. So I actually ended up taking the position and um, I ended up doing it for a year and then they brought in someone else and they kind of expanded our department and then we all reported to that person. So I would say it was a great learning experience, but I can admit 
that I hadn't really been a good manager at that point. So now to be in charge of all the people that were my peers, and you could imagine how well that went over, right? So um, I learned a lot, um, but that's one example where I know that I had an opportunity and I took it and it gave me such invaluable experience. But one of the things I realized I'd done over my career, because at some point when I told people about my history, it was great initially, and then it sort of became like, you know, okay, we're not going to necessarily include Pam and in all the happy hours or all the lunch meetings or something. So somehow I, I interpreted that, okay, if people know about your history, they might not like that. They may think you're kind of full of yourself or whatever, and we're not going to include you and stuff. So in my brain, I said, okay, I'm not telling anybody anything. So I stopped sharing, you know, where I went to school or my sports. And it wasn't only until maybe several years ago, I figured it out when I was working at Toyota, when I took the Harada class that you already know about and you actually have participated in. And I realized that I had completely wiped away my history to fit in. And, you know, when you sit there, I just, I remember I was devastated because I thought, what in God's name have I done? This is crazy. And I felt like there's so many more skills and talents that I have where I could help and be more effective. And I'm not using that. So I realized at that point, that was my big saying yes. So that's when I recognized people are asking me to do things. And I used to say, no, I'm not saying no anymore. So, you know, my old boss, Nigel, asked me to present in his training class to create a module and present it. And I did. And then there was an opportunity to, he suggested I submit a proposal to speak at Agile Camp, which is great. That was like the big thing, you know, Agile Camp is huge in my field. And so I did, and I got accepted, and I got to go to Oregon and speak at Nike with, you know, the famous shoe company and where it kind of all began. So that was kind of my world all kind of circling together and meeting. And I was in the Tiger Woods Conference Center, and I just thought, okay, this is just crazy. And then there was another opportunity for a, uh, the Lean Digital Agile Conference in Paris. Mm. Not Paris, Texas, y'all. <laughs> Paris, Paris. And... I submitted, you know, he, he encouraged me, submit, I did, and they accepted. And I just thought, okay, this is crazy. So, uh, you know, a couple summers ago, I took my son and we went to Paris and I went and I presented there. And so I realized that, you know, when you actually put yourself out there and are willing, things just kind of start to show up for you. And so one of the things I realized is that the only way you can grow and get these opportunities is you have to get out of your comfort zone. You have to get out of your head. You have to get that voice that's saying, oh, no, you can't do that. That's no, no, no. You're not ready. You're not smart enough or you don't have a knowledge or anything. You have to just say, I'm not listening to that. I'm going for it. And the perspective I've gained is that when you try things and it doesn't work out, it's still a win because being an agile coach and trainer, if I try something and it doesn't work, that's my example of how you can fail and do something else. And if I try something and it does work, that's my example of what happens when you try something and you put yourself out there. So I can't lose. Either way, I'm going to have a story and I'm going to be able to share it and I'm going to be able to role model that. It's okay. Step out of your comfort zone. Sometimes it works. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. So for me, the saying yes is huge. And because I knew your, your title for our talk, I actually um, listened to Chandra Rhimes' book, say, The Year of Saying Yes, because that's kind of where it's, it comes from. And the transformation she had from always saying no and, and writing great television like Grey's Anatomy and Scandal and all of that, um, she got invited to go speak at, at a, a graduation for her school. She got invited to do so many things that she would have never done before because she always said no. Her, her, you know, her sister pointed out, you never say yes to anything. So she realized, okay, I'm going to start saying yes. And ever since then, she's been doing the same thing and it's changed her world. So I feel like that topic is critical. And if there's anything I can do to get people to say yes, then I'm ready to do it. Just bring me the people. Totally, totally. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because uh, I, I, how did I know that you were going to read the Shana Ryan book? Because you, you're Pam, right? <laughs> and you talk, <laughs> you read a bunch of books and you talk about book all the time. I recently yep. just add that book after I already book this show and uh, this, uh, mm -hmm. I add that to my, uh, um, to, to my book uh, and uh, I kind of look at it and I was like, oh, this is so cool. And so mm -hmm. interesting that you brought that up. But one thing that I wanted to touch on is, okay, let's say yes. And I'm all for that. But how mm -hmm. do you manage to live up to the expectation 
once you say yes because you gave a couple of example of a, like when you were not ready but it was mm-hmm. good to try but i mm-hmm. think for us women sometimes the expectation we play this expectation game with ourselves you know and then we kind of like fall back even even if you should say yes we measure way too much about you know what people are expecting from us and that kind of like draws back so what do you think so I personally believe that everybody needs a coach. And I personally need, believe you need more than one. So I am blessed and gifted in that I have mentors and coaches, people I've either worked with or that I've just befriended or that I went to school with. I call that sort of my board of directors and they're there for me. And I know that they have my best interest at heart. And whenever I have an idea, I kind of can run it by them and they can let me know and then give me some ideas. And they will immediately tell me, yeah, um, mm -mm, this one, don't do this. Because I know they're not telling me that because there's any kind of jealousy or they don't want to see me succeed. They actually believe it's not the right thing for me. But the funny thing is everything I have bought to my board of director folks, I haven't heard a no yet. So it's one of those things where I don't know if it's divinely inspired or if I have an idea and then they kind of help me craft it and it goes. But like I said, I feel like the only person I have to satisfy with my decision to do something is me. And so when I decided, okay, I'm going to create a YouTube show showing up with Pam and I'm going to bring people on and find out who's shown up for them during this, you know, difficult year and how have they, and let them know how they've shown up for me. Cause it's sort of my way of saying thank you. Cause if it wasn't for you, I wouldn't have achieved some of the things I've done. And then deciding, you know, we're all overcoming a lot. So I'm going to create a podcast called Overcoming and fill in the blank. So I'm going to talk about the loss of a loved one. And I'm going to talk about rejection. And I'm going to talk about um, feeling isolated and alone. And I'm just going to talk about things as they hit me. And my story, uh, taking things personal was my first one, because that was a big one. You know, I know there are people who, no matter what happens in the world, it's always interpreted about how it's affecting me. And it almost, they take it personally. And I read the book, The Four Agreements, when I was younger, my mom gave me that. And the first chapter is how to not take things personally. And it gives you a wider perspective. And it's almost a selfish thought to think all of these things are happening and affecting me. The thing they teach you, it's not about you at all. This is stuff happening. You're just interpreting as it is about you. So for me, I feel like you have to have people you can go to that will motivate you and coach you. And I've done my best when I've had a coach. I had a coach in sports, I did my best. You know, when I've had certain jobs, I've had someone where I just connected with and you just knew there was a special connection. And I could just say, hey, I'm thinking about this or what about that? Or maybe they had an opportunity they offer me. And it's just been such a blessing. So my thing is that everybody needs a coach, even coaches need coaches. So find a group or find someone, even if you have to pay them, because I feel like you should invest in your own professional development. So if you have to pay them, pay them. And if they're helping you, keep them on. You've got to find a way to get that sort of greatness added to you and spoken into you so that you can do more than you would. Because if you leave it up to yourself, you're constantly going to find, oh, yeah, I can't do that. Mm-mm. Oh, what will people say? You know, I don't say that to myself anymore because I don't know people. So I figure, you know, anybody coming at me, they're either going to have some constructive feedback or they know I'm not even listening to any of that stuff because it doesn't serve me. So finding those people that you can surround yourself with to kind of get you started and motivate you and keep you going. I had my aunt the other day saying, what's up with the podcast? I haven't heard anything. So, okay, let me get going. So I really feel like those are the the magical tips or or, um, steps you can take that'll help you kind of get over the hump. Because even even the strongest people sometimes feel like they can't go forward. So you need to find those voices to help you get to where you're going to go. That's super interesting. I want to ask her about the book because the way you call it, everybody call it differently. I agree mm-hmm. you need a coach, but the fact that you call it your board of director, how do mm-hmm. you define, you know, um, who is part of that board of director and how many people do we have in that board of director and do how long do they stay in that, uh, in, in that seat for you? Well, It's weird. Uh, For me, I just feel like something inside where I know we've had conversations where we've talked about things or maybe they've helped me in a way. And I've just decided, you know, like, hey, you know, I would like to help support you. Will you help support me? And I haven't had them say no yet. So that's good. 
And it's just nice knowing you have someone in your corner because I don't have a big family. It was just me and my brother. So I feel like this was the only way for me. I need to find that magic I got from coaching and athletics in my personal life and in my business life to help me push forward and try something else and do something. And so you kind of, if you, if you get still and you listen to yourself inside, you'll be able to tell like, okay, who's there for me, no matter what, you know, and, and who, who knows me better than most people and who's known me for a while and remembers, you know, how I used to be and how I am now and who can help me kind of figure out and take an idea and make it into something. And I mean, it's, it's personal for the person. I wouldn't say have 20 people because that's a lot of voices. You know, I'd say I probably have about five or six people that I really listen to. And sometimes we can go months and we won't have any contact at all. And, but suddenly I'll just, you know, Hey, how's it going? How are you doing? How can I support you? And I've got something coming up. What do you think? So um, I really think it, it's foundational and it, it, it's the reason that I don't have fear when I try something because I know if these folks are like, cool, you got this. Why am I worried about anybody else? You know, those voices will keep you from so much. And I don't want to look back in three years or five years and think, wow, what could I have done if I wasn't afraid? If I just wanted to stay small and comfortable and, and not get out of my comfort zone, what could I have done if I just said yes and tried some of these things? Because like I said, if it's a failure, I'm using it. If it's a success, I'm using that too. I can't lose. I, I like your analogy, you know, if it's success, that, I mean, you know, the, the, the formula is working. If it's failure, that means I get to retry again and you see an example of failure. So, because mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes also when you get in coach, you mm -hmm. feel like the, sometimes the coach, when they're not super authentic, they always push, push you. And even when you fail, you feel like, okay, I'm failing. And they don't have a way to tell you that failure is part of the process. Mm -hmm. So I, I like the fact that you're saying, okay, you fail. That's, that's just, it's an indication to change, uh, you know, maybe your formula a little bit and retry it. So that's great. You know, I was going to tell you, I, I listen, you know, I'm, I live on LinkedIn. So if anybody's looking for me, go to LinkedIn. Um, but I saw a video of Sarah Blakely. She's the one who created Spanx. And she yes. tells the story of how when she was growing up with her dad, you know, every week he would ask her about, okay, what have you failed at? And there was this thing where he encouraged her to try things and fail and tell me about it. And they high-fived after she shared her failure. And I thought, this is genius. And, you know, through that, she, was, she heart, learned how to- My heart is beeping just by <laughs> hearing this story. Like, oh, do, do you see the geniusness of this? So they high-fived because- he was trying to teach her that the way to grow is to try things and they're not always going to work out. And I want to hear about you trying stuff and failing because then I know you got it and you're going to grow and you're going to be okay. And I just, I talked to my son about it after I heard it. I said, okay, Alex, mommy was on LinkedIn and she heard something. And, you know, I really want us to do this. I want you to ask me about what I've tried. And I want you to tell me, I want you to try stuff that didn't go as well. And again, failure is a strong word, but maybe just didn't go out right. as you hoped. I remember he um, he did a spelling bee uh, this past year, and you know it was it was a challenge because I think you know the word he was given he didn't quite hear it well and he asked for the definition and so forth and so he ended up spelling a word he thought it was but it wasn't the right word so he didn't he get to stay long and I remember when he came home and he told me you know here I am like oh are you okay or whatever and he was like no big deal and I just thought that's what I need that's I need a little bit more of him no big deal we'll try again next year it's cool. And I thought, I don't know where you learned that, but that's awesome. Yeah, <laughs> that is he, awesome. he learned it from you, obviously. He learned it from you. I, you, you I have hope so. it. You have it. But <laughs> I, I want to so. go back into what you just say, because um, I know that you are a seven leader, so you you coach team, you coach folks. Mm -hmm. What is the best approach? You know, how do you inspire women, especially in saying yes? Well, the, the cool thing about what I do in the Agile and Scrum space is that, you know, Scrum, it's about experiments. You know, we're going to try something. We're going to see how it goes. And if it's great, we're going to keep doing it. And if not, guess what? We're going to pivot and try something else. And if you have that mindset and let folks know that it's okay to fail, it makes things a lot easier. And, you know, one of the things I try to do is coaching. You know, when I initially started, I think when you come into coaching, you think you got to tell everybody the answer. Okay, they ask the question, I solve the problem, let's go. 
And then you realize, okay, yeah, that, that, that's, that's not what they want. They, they want. You need to help coach them to figure out the answer. So if they say, what would you do? You could say, well, what do you think you should do? And, you know, only at that final, you know, like we're about to go over the waterfall, can you say, well, there's an, I have an idea. Maybe we could, or we could, and you kind of throw some things out there, but it's the same practice. You want to kind of draw out of the person what the solution is, because if you give them the solution all the time, then when they have a problem, what are they going to do? Where's Pam? <laughs> but if they're, you know, building those skills and those problem solving skills, then they can figure out, well, you know what, last time we had this, we did this and we tried that. And let's, let's talk about the ideas of what we could do and let's try one. And, you know, one of the things I try to do because I have a responsibility to share information and maybe share with leadership that, you know, we're, we're going to try something. Um, I'm hopeful it works, but it might not. And the most important thing is that, you know, folks don't feel like they're going to get in trouble for experimenting. Uh, because that's not that's not what it's about. It's about figuring out our space. And while while Scrum and Agile, you know, have guidelines and frameworks, um, you have to make it work for your organization. And you, it's not like, well, this is the way you have to do it, and you have to fit in this box, or else, you know, that's not how it works. We've got to see what works for us. And so, no matter who I'm talking to, whether it's male or female, that's what I try to bring to them. That let's let's try something and see what happens. And Again, right before we go over the edge, if I have to, okay, well, here's what we did at so-and-so, let's give that a shot. Then, you know, you give them that information, but you, you don't want to be the answer woman because then what happens if you get transferred to another team? We can't do anything because Pam's not here. Yeah, we need another that's, Pam. <laughs> that's not good. They need to be self-reliant, self-sustaining and figuring it out on their own. So that brings two questions in my mind. The first question is, what do they do if uh, they don't have a PAM and they're already so reliant to PAM, is it a PAM issue? Is it PAM as a leader? Because this is something that happened to folks, right? I'm thinking about toxic environment, environment where there's no psychological safety. What happened when there's a PAM that left and everybody is attached, attached to the way PAM used to do stuff? Is that a PAM? Is that because PAM was not the leader that was allowed them to be self-reliant or is that the folks issue you're trying to get me in trouble here aren't you <laughs> um well if i'm being honest I, I would say that um it's important as leaders and coaches that you empower your team to solve problems and i was fortunate because when i was at stanford and i worked with coach woman you know he was a great coach not just because he knew what to do but he had to teach us how to be self-reliant because he had athletes all over the track. You know, he's working with high jump. He's over here with the shot. He's over here doing, you know, javelin or something else. And all of his athletes are competing at the same time. So who's he supposed to watch? And if you're the athlete who can't perform without coach looking to tell you what you did wrong, it's going to be a real short meet for you. So mm -hmm. the thing I learned from him that's so magical is that, he would give us enough information to know what to do and then to also self-correct. So even in practice, you know, I would throw and he would say, what do you think you did? So he's checking to see, do I know what happened? So I know what it feels like, because when you get to the big meets, you don't want to miss out on getting your school points to help you win or qualifying for bigger competitions because coach is not there. So, you know, for me, it's the same thing at work. You know, it's funny sometimes when I start with a team, like I said, oh, we're already a high performing team. We don't really need anything. So then I have to kind of win, I have to win them over a little bit. Right. And then, you know, as I'm in there giving little tips and tricks and we're talking about stuff, I think they start to see it. So then it almost feels like you're a good luck charm. And so then I say, okay, well, you know, I got another week and I got to go. No, you can't go. They don't want me to leave. But it's not that they don't think they can do it without me. They just got used to having me around. And, you know, what I hope is that they can now take what they've learned and keep doing it so that if someone sees them, they could say, oh, wow, this is great. Where'd you learn it? Well, you know, we worked with Pam or we figured out some stuff on our own or whatever it is. And then other people can learn from them. But, you know, the whole you know, dependency model to me is not good. And one of the things my mom told me once is that her job is to make sure her kids are smart, kind, compassionate, and able to take care of themselves. That's it. She, you know, if you, she got that done, then she, she doesn't need a call every, you know, every day or every minute. What do I do? I need help. 
we should be able to make our own decisions. And I can remember having arguments with my mom where I would call her and ask her, well, what do you think? And she'd give me her opinion. And I'd say, okay, and I'm weighing things over. And then I chose a different path and she would get mad at me. And I remember I thought that was funny because she'd say, well, well, why did you ask me if you weren't gonna take my advice? And I said, Ma, you taught me to make my own decision. I just wanted to hear more you know, options before I arrived at that, but I'm doing what you taught me. And she's kind of like, mm, okay, you know, <laughs> but you know, it's funny how it works out. It's not that I didn't want guidance or help from her. I just wanted to kind of get another perspective of what she saw and then make my own decisions sometimes. So I, 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 that's really good. And my, my other question is really around raising kids to say yes, you know, and I, I think you already touched upon a little bit, you know, about your son. And then I have daughter, I have son, you know, how, because whatever conversation I have, I'm always thinking, how do we implement that for the next generation? You know, I don't know if it's going to be the new trick that we just learned from the spank lady, you know, be fearless. Cause I'm still like, that that is still scaring me hearing mm -hmm. that like go so what what do you think what is the best approach how do we raise kids to be fearless you know and and say yes to opportunity that come to them well i think the way i present it to my son is that we both have jobs my job is to come and work and be a coach and help people and train them and and do what's asked of me your job is to go to school and it's a job and it's not just to go to school, it's to do well. If I don't do well at work, guess what? Mommy's not gonna have a job. So I'm trying to role model to him the importance of doing well, but I'm also letting him know that, you know, you're working on your future. Whatever study habits you do now, granted they don't ask you what grade you got in fifth and sixth grade, but whatever you've learned and how you've learned, you're gonna take that with you to where it counts, which is in high school. And if you all of a sudden now have to figure out how to study and learn and get good grades. That's a heavy lift. But if you've been doing it all along, then you know what to do. And you know, I, I do try to encourage him to try different things and to push himself because I, you know, I, I can tell that he's, he's bright. And you know, he took, he's taken cybersecurity coding um, class during spring break from where he's been doing coding classes. He loves coding and computers and everything. And that's gonna get him far, you know, tech, technology, up with technology. Yes. So, I let him know that how you do in school matters and you earn the benefit to do the coding class, to take tennis lessons. He took piano at one point. He did Taekwondo for a long time. You earn that right. You don't just get it because you know you're here on earth. So if you do well in school, now you have some opportunities. And you know they carry that through school. At some point, if you don't have a certain grade point average, you can't compete on the team. It's the same, it's all the same. You're always being measured and you have to do your best and you can never let up and say, I'm just going to chill in this class because no, because now you've let in these other habits where you're, you're going to hold on to that. And like, I didn't have to work that hard and I got an A minus. And so it's like, well, but could you have gotten an A plus? You know, I'll never forget when I was younger. Um, I was good at pretty good at school, but my mom was valedictorian. So she was great. And I remember one time I bought my uh, report card home and I was excited because in one class I got a 95. And I gave it to her. And I'm, you know, I'm doing my little dance. I'm excited. And she looked at me. I will never forget it. And she said, you know what, Pam? If you can get one right, you can get them all right. Mm. And she turned and walked away. And I was like, what? Who is this woman? And it stayed with me. Obviously, it's still with me because she's right. And I have to remember, she was valedictorian. She was used to getting them all right. And so in her mind, she knew... If you studied harder and applied yourself, that's what you're capable of. So don't be excited because you almost got a hundred, mm. get a hundred, you know, and almost have it where that's what you require of yourself. And so that, that, that took me far. I remember I thought my mom's crazy, but um, <laughs> I, I really think it, it had an impression on me. And so I was competitive in school and I was actually ended up being competitive with what turned out to be our valedictorian in high school. And I remember I would be excited. We get a paperback and I get a 96 and she get a 98. And I was just devastated. Like, how did she get a 98? I got to study more. And so I would go home and study more. So I think, I think the most important thing with kids is to let them know that they have jobs too. And it's called school and it matters. And 
those habits carry with you. If your kid doesn't really like to read, they're missing out on learning more vocabulary. They need that. And then that'll help them when they, if they go to a spelling bee or they want to be in debate or something, they've got to learn how to do that. It all kind of fits together. And so the number one thing is your health and how you do. That's what matters. So I don't know if that helps. It does. I think your mom did an awesome job. She she had Thank an you. you know Hall of Fame athlete. It can't be can't get better than that. And I'm sure she's super she was proud rough, of you. boy. <laughs> you have to be rough to to have an athlete, an Olympian athlete as a as a daughter, right? So one of the questions we we get into the end of a conversation here. We could talk mm-hmm. for hours. One of the questions that I like to ask all my guests is, what do you do to up your confidence every day? Well, this one's easy for me. Um, One of the things I try to do is surround myself with stuff I can learn from. So there's certain TV shows I don't watch. You know, there's certain books I do read. I'm big into podcasts, YouTube videos. I'm a big fan of Brene Brown. I'm a big fan of um, trying to think of her name, the professor who works on, okay, everything's leaving me now. It'll come back to me. she wrote the book on grit. She studied schools. Oh, Angela Duckworth. Duckworth. Yes. Yeah. So I yes, mean, I love her. <laughs> I, I'm surrounded by all these people. So when they have a podcast, I listen because I learn from them. And one of the things I really like, particularly about Brene Brown, is she gives me the vocabulary to understand what I'm feeling and what other people are feeling and what it means. And, you know, one of the things that stuck with me is when she talked about in one of her TED Talks, how she realized at some point she was very good at making herself small. So she really tried to engineer that and not volunteer for things or, or, or just put herself out there. And one of the reasons, as you know, is when you do put yourself out there, there's a lot of critics out there, yeah. a lot of critics. I'm always saying HGH for haters are going to hate. <laughs> oh, <But I> like <laughs> that. That's what that means. You'll see it on all my posts. And so one of the things I realized is that I do want constructive feedback, but I want it from people who really are giving me that, not just trying to tear me down. Exactly. It's like I said, if I'm unsure, I go to the board to see, is this sound? And if, if, if it's not, then it's kind of like, I don't even worry about it. Because I found that if I take that out and I fill myself full of positive stuff, I listen to Les Brown. I mean, there's just so many motivational speakers and folks who've got a story to tell. And just listening to them, I feel better. So that affects my whole mood. It affects, you know, my day. It affects what I'm going to do. I'm excited. I've discovered Audible. So I listen to a ton of books on tape and I'm finishing up Michelle Obama's book. And I love it because when the author reads their book to you, it's like they're talking. I'm like Michelle talking to me. She's telling telling me her story. And you just feel this connection. And I don't think I'd have the connection were it not for Audible. So it, it stays with you. And I feel like it just kind of fills me up and gives me ideas and helps me feel like I can be stronger and do more. So that is what I do to up my confidence. And if I ever feel like I'm kind of falling, you know, I might've failed at something I need to pick me up again, I go to the folks who care about me the most. And I, you know, I can pick up the phone or I can email or text and easy. They say, Oh no, no, don't worry. No, no, no. It's fine. Blah, blah, blah. And you know, at the end of that conversation, it's done. Yeah. I don't feel badly anymore. And it's such a blessing to know that I have that kind of surrounding and that kind of support. But I really feel like what you bring into you has effects. So I don't listen to, I'm not very political. So all of the election stuff, didn't listen to a whole lot of that. Still don't listen to a whole lot of that because for me, it doesn't do me any good. You know, like you say, you like basketball. The, the Celtics were playing the Nets. I watched a little bit of that. That was exciting for me the other night. So I'm, I find things that I enjoy and I just surround myself with them. And everything else is just, it doesn't come in. That, that's, that's required discipline. That's required. I was just talking about that uh, in a meeting that, you know, how do you filter things that are not good for you? You know, sometimes it's mm-hmm. too much. How do you find that balance? So it requires discipline. And uh, I yes. definitely agree with you. Audiobook, I've been reading. I mean, th- that's the only way I read a book. I started with audiobook. And mm-hmm. then when I love it, I buy the actual book and then I read yes. it again. So mm-hmm. it's like double. So yeah, I started with the actual book for Michelle Obama. It was just mm-hmm. too huge. 
But then mm-hmm. when I got on the audiobook last summer, I was able to finish it really quick. I mean, it's still long. It's like 12 hours or 15 or something. So and yeah. I just take a habit of reading or listening when I go on a walk so that mm-hmm. it's like I'm, I'm doing a double duty. So and those when the author is reading, it's like, yeah. come on, I'm like in a relationship with them. We, <laughs> we, we talk in one on one. The funny thing is I have a uh, um, Barack Obama's book, which is twice as long as any other book you're going to read. I'm not I mean, it's, that. <laughs> it's a heavy lift, I'm not but I started it. I started it. And there's something about his voice. It's just so calming. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm and sure. again, I'm thinking he's talking to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm finding out what happened in his life. And it's just, it just makes me feel good, you know? And I just hope that whatever things that I learn, I can now share that with my son or with whomever. And just kind of keep that circle of, of knowledge and information going. So that's great. awesome. I always love this part because everybody has different things that help them up their confidence. So one last one. What okay. what wisdom can you drop to our listener on uh, how to continue to say yes and stay on the path of living the life of um, confidence? The biggest thing is you have to conquer the fear. You know, I know there are things that are scary. And when you put yourself out there, you wonder what will happen and so forth. So for me, I put myself out there from some stuff and it went well and that gave me confidence. So now I can put myself out there for some more stuff and get more confidence. And, you know, confidence is it's contagious. You know, people see that you feel good and you don't have as much fear about life in general. And, you know, I think... If you don't have it, you have to figure out how to get it. So you either have to try things and get it from there, learn from others, read, learn, listen to other people's experiences and see if you can take something from them and use it. But um, it, it takes work. You don't just wake up and like, hey, I'm confident, you know, I'm great. Life's good. You know, you, usually something happens or you draw things in that make you feel that way. So I would say you sort of have to figure out what works for you. Um, one of the things I did was I took a class from Coursera, the science of happiness. I think it was uh, Yale, Dr. Laura Santos, who's a professor, one of the greatest classes I took. And it talks about happiness and how you think certain things are going to make you happy, but the reality is they don't. So if you say, for example, you're buying certain things or you're, you know, doing all these different things, it doesn't work. But one of the things she talks about is it's experiences that make you feel good. So it's not that, you know, you've got a fancy car or you've got, you know, certain clothes or whatever. It's, you know, the trip I took with my son to Paris or Oregon. I took my son there too. So it's, it's those things where I can look back and we have the pictures and you just feel joy. And it's not anything material. It's the experiences. So what you have to do is figure out what your strengths are and how you can capitalize on them. And then what really makes you happy? And do more of that, less of the stuff that doesn't, more of this. I know it sounds very trivial, but the reality is when you do more of the stuff that makes you happy, you feel better. I like being outside, going for walks. I, I drive down to a park, I go for a walk. I walk by my son's school. There's an area in the colony, by, there's a lake. So I go over there and I walk and just being out there and then listening to something positive, you know, it just sets my whole week. It just makes me feel so good. So. Finding the things that that make you feel that way and continuing to do them, I think uh, that's my recommendation. That's awesome. That's awesome. How do we stay connected with you? I know you already say you're on LinkedIn. What is your LinkedIn? Just Pam Duke. Give us us all the info how to follow you. God, I didn't know you were going to ask me this question. Okay. Uh, I think for LinkedIn, it's my first name and last name full. So it's Pamela Dukes and then it says O-L-Y. And the OOY stands for Olympian. That's the only initials I have after oh. my name because I feel like that was my greatest accomplishment. Yes. Um, I think it's Pam Dukes on Facebook. Um, I don't really use Instagram. I'm going to potentially start using some other uh, areas, but LinkedIn is number one. And, you know, the biggest mistake I know that professionals make is they tell me they only look on LinkedIn when they need a job. And I'm telling them, you are missing out. You are missing out because there's opportunities. People reach out to me whom I don't even know. Right. Hey, you know, we're having a meetup at uh, work and, you know, we kind of like what you do. Would you, be, would you be willing to come talk to us? Yes. Oh, we've got this other opportunity. Or, you know, I've had someone reach out to me who had a child who was a thrower and didn't have a coach. Oh. So I have to give tips. You never know what's going to come your way, but you have to actually use the tool. You have to 
find things excited to come on here. So I'm, I'm constantly trying to, you know, use the tool and then also find opportunities where I can help. So um, that's what I would recommend. Cool, totally, that's good. This was fun. I'm so excited. I really wanted to thank you for the opportunity for coming to the Up Your Confidence podcast and share all this knowledge, insight, and gem with our audience. This is super helpful. Thank you. Thank you. My pleasure. Explore West Africa with us. Explore beautiful West Africa with this square adventure that is traveling with purpose. You want to make an impact with your traveler? Join us. We make it possible for you, our guests, to enjoy and discover three amazing West African destinations, Benin, Togo, Ghana. We offer an upscale experience, a beachfront, four-star and plus resort style accommodation for 10 days. If you're an African-American in search of your African route, or you're passionate or curious about Africa, its culture, history, food, and people, this is an opportunity you don't want to miss. What awaits you? Sightseeing, local markets, festive balls, local food tasting. Go to our website, www.cisquareadventure.com. Africa is just a sign up away from you. The countdown starts now. listening to today's episode. If you've enjoyed the conversation and find it inspiring or educational, please share with your friends, family, and colleagues because sharing is caring. And when you up your confidence, your friends will up their confidence too. Leave us a review and also follow our Facebook page, Up Your Confidence. We are growing and excited to continue the conversation. You can always DM or email your host on Instagram at Z Square 4 and Z Square on all other social media, or visit her website at zsquarecorner.com. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, remain blessed, and up your confidence every day.